Welcome to episode number five of the Granite Cornerstone entitled Halt, Who Goes There? Tonight's episode is going to be about the subject of guarding the West Gate. And before we start, I'd like to just share a couple of disclaimers that we would like to have uh, shared with you this evening. First off, the opinions expressed here tonight do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire or any of the Grand Lodge officers. The opinions that you hear tonight are just the opinions of the brethren who are speaking them and are not representative of the best or the only way to do things. So please take from this conversation just that. It is a conversation between three brothers about observations they've had over the years. Those three brothers will be myself and joining me tonight, uh, the Right Worshipful District Deputy Grand Master of the Second Masonic District, Right Worshipful Scott Newberry. Scott, welcome. How are you tonight? Good. How are you doing, Tim? And also joining us this evening will be the Right Worshipful Grand Lecturer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother, Christopher Busby. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Nope. Can't hear you, Chris. Oh, I'm muted. Good, Tim. Let's try that. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So welcome, gentlemen. Uh, you heard my disclaimer, and, and I just want to make sure that we all understand what we're doing tonight. So what we are trying to accomplish tonight is to discuss the topic of guarding the Westgate, and that means a lot of different things. One of the things we're going to talk about is the perspective of the Lodge towards its candidate, the perspective of the candidate towards its Lodge, and the responsibilities of every individual in that process. This is going to kick off a three-part series that really deals with the initiatic experience. We're starting tonight with that first knock on the door where we discuss petitioning, voting, and all of those things that happened before a brother uh, joins the lodge. Our next episode, we're going to be focusing on the mentoring experience and how to get a brother from his first knock to his master mason degree. And then in our third episode, where we're going to discuss retention and how to keep a brother engaged within the lodge. So, Let's kick off tonight's discussion. This is going to be a little different than our past episodes. It's not really going to be a question and answer interview style. It is going to be primarily just a conversation. We'll uh, have some questions prepared and some topics that we uh, kick in when the conversation is lulled. But let's start. So when it comes to guarding the West Gate, there's a lot of aspects to that conversation. And I think one of the things that we need to talk about first is identifying the ideal candidate. When you look at a brother who's petitioning a lodge, to you, what makes a good Mason? From, from my perspective, Tim, one of the things that I tend to ask, and, and it's sort of one of those things that I thought myself when joining the fraternity was the, the man has to be, in my view, a seeker have to be looking for something greater. Um, that can mean a lot of different things. That could mean spiritually, that could mean in the community. Um, but that I think, and oftentimes when we when we talk to prospective candidates for the fraternity, it, it can be very hard for them to identify what it is that they're actually searching for. Um, and the, the nature of the fraternity, I think sometimes, and it, 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 it is this way for a reason, um, we don't give a whole lot of information up front. So um, it, it, it's sort of an interesting, you know, uh, journey that, that, are, that a person wants to start. And I, and I say that in a larger sense outside of Masonically that I think often sets people on a specific goal. And I feel as though personally that in that seeking, 
um, comes that that momentum and that drive in order to be able to not only want to change and to grow, uh, but to learn more. So I, I think that that's an important aspect. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Chris. I think one of the big things that you have to look at when someone says, hey, I'm interested, it, it's important to find out what they're interested in as, a yeah. as opposed to, you know, I, you know, I'm looking for that, you know, just a place to go hang out for a couple hours every couple of days, you know, or, right. but it's important to find out what they actually are starting to look for. I mean, you know, I hear a lot of times it's, you know, they want to give back to the communities. They want to, you know, talk with guys that are like-minded. So it's, yeah. it's important to find out what they're actually looking for and make sure they're not looking for the wrong thing. I mean, I, I've talked to many brother individuals who ended up not becoming brothers because mm -hmm. they went from the, I'm interested to the, you know, I'm hoping to build a business. I'm looking for those business contacts. And when they realize that it's not really what we're here for, they kind of fade off into the woodwork. So, and and it's and everyone joins the fraternity for a different reason. And I think we can all, you know, we can look at the three of us as well as you know those that are watching right now. And you know, it could be a drive toward connecting to history. That's a big one that I hear a lot being more active in their communities, seeking like-minded brothers. And so understanding um, and appreciating um, the different reasons why, why men come to us, to your point, Scott, I think is, is, is very important. But that, that, you know, I look at that sort of that seeking piece as that sort of that, under, that underlying sort of drive that, that covers a lot of these areas. I think I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think that there's an aspect of a good candidate and, and I think we all know how to see them or spot them when we find them, but I think defining it's, it's difficult because this is a fraternity that has for its rules of admission, very few rules. I mean, really being a man free born in this jurisdiction, it's 18 or older mm -hmm. and you have to believe in a Supreme being. And, and out of those, you know, four rules, the only one that really changes between any of the jurisdictions that are, are recognized or uh, regular is, is the age. But when you have an individual who meets those four criteria, sometimes you have to recognize that those individuals are not necessarily all going to make good Masons. And I think that identifying what aspect of their journey that they're looking to get into to Scott's point, people join for a lot of different reasons. And some of them are not reasons that we should really be looking for brothers. You know, mercenary motives is one of those things that, that we say internally and, and it's looking to build a book of business or something like that. And I think that finding somebody who has a desire and a drive to improve themselves in any way and finding what that way is, is probably key to identifying what makes a good Mason. Well, I, I think that's part of it. Then there's the other the other aspect to, to take a look at is those that are joining because they're looking for that connection piece. Now, in some cases, it's connection of like-minded men. It's con a connection with individuals that want to do the same types of things. In some cases, and I'm speaking on because I happen to be one of these types of in, that fall in the category, those that are looking to connect to their past. You know, I have multiple generations in my family that were yeah. Masons, and that kind of gives you that underlying desire to be part of something that and give you that connection level to you know in my case members of my family i never met but i have that connection now because we're, we were all masons 
And that changes the dynamic, right? Because they already oh, yeah. have a, a certain expectation. And obviously, you know, uh, your, your son recently, uh, Alex recently joined the fraternity and, you know, he's lived with you his entire life. And so oh, yeah. he's, even though he's not sat in lodge, he's been exposed to, you know, sort of the culture of Freemasonry, you know, in a, in sort of a inundation over the course of years. And so you already have that, some of that mindset already exists. Whereas most of the, the men that we talk to now um, may have some of that connection, but most of the time it's, you know, they, they don't know, they don't know anyone and they're not necessarily connected. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, from, from that perspective, I mean, you know, I grew up with, you know, my, well, my father went through the, uh, the officer chairs for his lodge and, you know, you get to realize that certain nights, Oh, dad's leaving. It must be rehearsal night. It must be lodge night. You know, you have those types of things. The other aspect too is, is that, you know, it's, you also have those that are coming from the youth organizations. You know, I was a member of DMLA just mm -hmm. like Alex was. And, you know, it's a situation where you get in, you get indoctrinated, I guess, is, is, is one of the words you can use for it. You know, <laughs> no, I mean, you, you get used it to it. It is the I mean, definition I mean, of the word, right? Well, I mean, you, you get used to it. I mean, you know, think about it. You know, the, the, you know, the youth organizations, the, the young men and ladies of, the, of both DMLA Rainbow, Job's daughter, uh, they all spend time together. They get used to that camaraderie, that yeah. that brotherhood sense that they all feel. And then as they get older, they walk away from those youth organizations and, you know, masonry and for the, for the young ladies, Eastern stars available to them, you know, here in the, in the Northeast, it's, it's there and it gives them an opportunity to continue on those and expand it and get a chance to meet people that they hadn't met before. Uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits of the fraternity is being able to meet so many different people from so many different walks of life. Chris, you said something in interesting about, you know, Alex, for example, is already exposed to the culture of Freemasonry. And that's, to me, that's interesting because I, when I look at Freemasonry, I certainly see that we have similar attributes across all lodges, but I don't know that I, I would say Freemasonry as a whole has a defined culture. I think each, each lodge certainly has its own culture and Freemasonry is, I think what I would consider a thin veneer of culture of the whole organization. Sure. But do you think that makes a difference? The way, the way a lodge operates, the culture of a lodge, obviously, I mean, I think it's, it's a question that answers itself. Yes, I think the culture of a lodge greatly impacts a candidate's journey and decision. But how much does the culture of a lodge impact that decision compared to the, the larger culture of Freemasonry? Um, going back to what you said initially about the culture, for, I, mean, it, I mean, it does have a certain culture. I mean, there's certain, you know, obviously base expectations that we all have for each other. Um, we're, we're all essentially with obviously diff jurisdictional differences doing the ritual, telling the story of Freemasonry, trying to impart our lessons. And, and we all do it in, in a relatively simpler way. Um, whether that's culture or that structure, I, I, think, I think that we may be splitting hairs, but I, I think that ultimately those two do end up bleeding. Uh, or, or converging at, at multiple points, but as far as the lodge is concerned, I mean every and I would I would hope that this you know and and I know you know in my heart that this is the case is that every lodge has their own culture, and I think that it's important to explain to potential candidates what what that culture is, and part of that is setting not not only uh, 
it, again, to use the indoctrination word, you know, getting getting that getting that man to understand sort of how my particular lodge, uh, it, you know, what we expect and 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 how we do things and what and what our focuses are. Um, there, are, you know, lodges have different focuses, and none of that is that's not a bad thing. That that's a wonderful thing, is a diversity in Freemasonry. So explaining that um, to somebody that I think a lot of guys when they when they when they talk to us, they look at they they're looking at Freemasonry as a very universal monolith monolithic thing. And with the ancient, you know, with the with our ancient charges and the fact that we all agree on certain things does does lend to that a little bit but at the same time we're all different just as much as every jurisdiction is different it's important to be able to um spend the time uh to be able to talk to that man about what what that means and and maybe that that a man isn't a fit for a particular lodge um which you know is is a possibility because of a of what they're looking for versus what a particular lodge might offer yeah, I, I think you and I have had that conversation in the past, and, and certainly you and I are both in different lodges, but we're in the same city, mm-hmm. and many times we draw from a similar candidate pool. Yeah. And I would say our lodges certainly have distinct focuses and cultures, and I think that understanding that a candidate may not be a good fit for your lodge or every lodge is an important distinction in that process. Yeah, and one of the things that when I personally talk to candidate, you know, potential candidates for the craft, I, I say, you know, we want you to be comfortable with us, and we want to be comfortable with you. We want we want each other to understand each other at least, you know, and and have, you know, have that connection to start with. But it has to be a mutual thing. So guarding the West Gate, actually, if you look at it from that perspective, is is sort of. Um, you know, the candidate has to do it for themselves uh, a little bit as much as a lodge will have to do it. Um, but it, it just, it's important to have that, that communication and that time to, to, uh, to bring somebody on board. So let's say we've identified a good candidate for Freemasonry. We've gone so far as to identify a good candidate for our lodge. Scott's legacy example aside, um, <laughs> It doesn't what mean do as think? much. With, you know, I'll be honest with you. Legacy it has its place, but it only comes from the perspective of having members in your family being a member of the fraternity already, or having been a member of. In some cases, you know, they haven't yeah. passed away. You know, but I'll be honest with you. It's not always the case where a legacy item comes into play. For other than the, I'm trying to connect to my, you know, my my roots. Because most lodges, it's it's the same pro- process you go through. I mean, just because you have the same last name as someone whose name's on the wall, you know, doesn't mean it's a guarantee that you're going to become a member. And even if you petition, doesn't mean that you're actually going to make it through. So well, it's. I guess what I was trying to say is specifically your example, the example of you and your son in, in, in particular, because you both obviously had heavy exposure as a part of your familial legacy with Freemasonry. Sure. So. The, the reason I, I want to put that aside for now is because I next let's just say it's a guy walking in off the street and he says, I'm interested. What's the first step? Because I know when I joined the fraternity, the first step was, was ultimately handing that guy a petition. And 
I think that the fraternity has changed in a lot of ways and, and some lodges certainly have changed their methods. So what do you think, what do you think that first step should be for a stranger walking in off the street? Well, asking questions, I mean, you know, letting, letting that man talk, um, which I'll be honest, I'm personally not always very good at because I talk a lot. No, um, <laughs> no don't say that, Chris. Yeah, you're, you're being real nice right now. We'll see what happens when the camera gets shut off. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, when you, when you let, you know, you, you, you sort of seed that conversation, start to ask those questions, I think that a person's character uh, comes out very quickly. Um, but one of the things that I think that you have to do from, from the earliest moments is really set expectations. Um, you know, first to describe the, describe what you believe the nature of the fraternity is. And, and that's also, by the way, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit about that. I think, I think that one of the things that tends to happen is that, and, and this is a good thing too, is that every brother has a different perspective on the fraternity. But I, I think that from an expectation standpoint, and this goes to Lodge culture, is, is having the, the brethren sort of on that same page as to what those expectations are um, along the way and, 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 what, and what, what a candidate, you know, what a candidate um, is going to have to go through, um, I, I think is, is crucial. And not only that, but, but seeing that man in different environments, I think is also very important because we tend to, uh, and, and my lodge does this, and I, this is a very common practice, right? You come to dinner, and you're, you're in our house at that point, right? And so people behave a certain way. So, have, seeing brother, seeing a man—I keep saying brothers—seeing a man in a in a in a social setting in his own home, I think, is very important. Not even just in in the context of the investigation itself, but but even early, I think, much earlier on in the process. Yeah, getting the getting the individual to start speaking is probably key. Uh, I I know typically what happens a lot in our lodge when people walk through the door and they're interested. The goal we have at that point for most of us is to get them to sit down and just and just have the conversation. What is it? What what's in the door tonight? Why tonight versus you know six months ago, a year ago, uh, and try to have that conversation. And that's really key because if you don't have that conversation, you can't really get an understanding. Is this an individual that you'd like to hang out with. Uh, that's kind of like my, one of my litmus tests. Would I be willing to sit with you and have a cup of coffee, sure. you know, and, and have, an after, have a conversation. But I do think that in to circle back to something you said, Chris, earlier is the lodge has to have that conversation. Yeah. I mean, how many, I mean, you know, when you have a lodge with, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to use a low number here because I'm going to go with the, the active membership, the guys you typically see around the lodge building doing stuff. You're, you know, you're 12 or 15 for usually at the top end you know, of the most active members, the guys that are there around the building all the time, the ones that will run into people who are stopping by. Mm -hmm. But those guys need to understand that and be all on the same page. And I think that's what gets missed sometimes is I may have an understanding of what I think would make a good mason fit for our culture at, at this particular lodge. But Chris, you might have a different understanding and Tim, I have a third. So we need to make sure that we're all on the same page. And I think it's important to have those conversations yeah. in-house before the next candidate walks through the door or potential candidate. And again, to be clear, we're not saying that, and I'm not saying that, you know, that, um, 
you know, the, there has to be uniformity in, 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 in belief to a T, right? I, I think oh, no, it, no, no, it no. just has to be sort of a general feeling of, uh, or, or, or a collective understanding of what it is that, you know, what it is that X Lodge is looking, what is it that your Lodge is looking for? Um, and again, expectation, I think is, is, is critical. So there's a lot to unpack in, in what you two just said. And I, I want to touch on something Scott said first, and it's about your litmus test. Mm -hmm. Somebody that I want to spend time with, I want to hang out with, I want to have a cup of coffee with. To me, that's a huge factor in a lot of different aspects of the fraternity and the initiatic experience mm. because Lodge for me is a, is a place that I need to feel safe and I need to feel comfortable and I need to feel at home. Yeah. And a lot of that is the people obviously that I surround myself with. I, having been in this fraternity now for over a decade and, and visited other lodges in the district, I feel a lot more comfortable in other lodges than I did 10 years ago. But no matter what, from, from the beginning, I've always felt comfortable in my home lodge. And I think that's a huge part of the conversation when you look at a candidate is that the members of the lodge need to continue to feel safe and comfortable in their lodge building. And a candidate who disrupts that or a potential candidate who can disrupt that is something that needs to be looked at when you're, when you're looking at a candidate, it's not sure. always just checking off all the boxes. There's those underlying sort of ephemeral things that you can't quantify, but certainly you can qualify as you're, you're sitting there. And I think that's a really important point. Well, yeah. And, and, just to be clear on this, I mean, we're talking like it's a brand new brother coming in off the street. That litmus test, for me, that goes to brothers that are looking to join the lodge from another lodge. You know, if they want to affiliate with our lodge or they, you know, they moved into the area, they're, they're a brother already. But there's still that same thought process that has to go on, that same, is, a, is this individual a good fit for our lodge? Is it someone I could feel comfortable with? It's important to understand that, you know, while we're talking about a brand new person coming in off the street, some of the stuff is applicable to when people are looking to affiliate from another lodge. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a little every easier. Mason. <laughs> yeah. Not, not every Mason, you know, is necessarily a good fit for every lodge. Right. So. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. And that, and the wet, you know, the, the station in the West is the station of harmony. Right. Well, and I think that that's overlooked a lot when you're talking about guarding the West gate. Right. It's not just about making sure that the candidate fits, making sure that the lodge will be harmonious for all reasons is an important role of that, that uh, senior warden. And, and that's true. That's true for any organization, but because of the nature of Freemasonry, I think it's, you know, triply tr true <laughs> to use a Masonic number. Well, yeah, well, because it's important to understand that you, you want to make sure that the individual is a good fit. You're all comfortable with them because let's face it, sometimes, especially when you're having conversations with your brothers or in lodge, it can get uncomfortable if you're not familiar with the people that are in the room. Uh, some conversations are difficult to have anyway. I mean, you know, it, but if you're not comfortable enough to speak your mind in front of those that you're sitting there with, those conversations can't be had. So... I want to put a pin in this because I think it's going to have relevance later on to some of the other conversations we have. Yeah. So the next thing that came up in the conversations we had was from Chris about setting expectations. Mm. Now I've I said, know I've said that a few times already. <laughs> you have, 
Hey, you, know what I'm gonna, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say next. Scott knows what I'm going to say next. And I can guarantee you any Mason who's been a member of this fraternity over the for more than a decade knows what I'm going to say next. Sure. The expectation that a lot of us were given when we first knocked on the door of a lodge was one night a month. Mm-hmm. I think by now, you, you and I had this conversation uh, just last week when we were prepping for this. Most lodges have, have generally done away with that statement because if the experience of the three gentlemen here and, and obviously it's Sunday night and there's gentlemen, there's 23 people, it looks like watching this. Masonry is not one night a month. It can be, but the expectation I think is higher. So Chris, when you say setting expectation, what do you mean? What is your expectation of a candidate and what is your expectation once they're done their their initiation period well you know uh, everyone everyone is different as far as the amount of time that they can put in, in the fraternity i mean us you know we've got past masters and grand lodge officers here we're you know sort of the choir right we're, we're the ones that <laughs> you know we're we're out a lot and and that's a choice that we've made um but i, I think setting the expectation is that yeah we we want you to come to every meeting we don't expect Perfection, obviously, because that's not what this is about. You've got families and work and things that are important. We talk about them being important. They are important, and, and, and they need, those things need to be addressed, especially when we're talking to new folks. But you, I think that you can set the expectation of these things come first, but also you are you're obligating yourself. You are joining a fraternity um, and, and every member of that fraternity, every member of that lodge is important. And every member of that lodge is expected to contribute something. And, and that contribution is, is going to be varied and diverse and unique. And that's, and that's great. And we want to uh, reinforce the fact that we want, we, want, we want a new brother to bring their, their passion, their talents, their 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 drive to be able to to become better men um and to grow spiritually um to the table and so you know i think that there's a big difference between that and it's one night a month and, and i think that 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 answer is not the same thing for everyone but i think we undersell ourselves fairly significantly when we say Freemasonry is only anything. Um, so, we, we, I, I, you know, my view is that we have to sort of, tur you know, turn around a little bit about the way we talk about the fraternity because we are expecting, you know, this is the thing that we say a lot of times, you know, you hear is good men and make them better. We don't take bad men and rehabilitate them. Um, but we have an expectation in that, in that process at times can be very challenging um, with with the things that a man does need to do in order to become a, a full member of the craft of Master Mason. So I, I think being upfront and honest about that um, and, and, and talking about your lodge in, in a way to where you express that meaning and that connection that you have with it, I think that, that uh, translates uh, if it's a, if it's the right man, I think that sort of connection and that sort of drive to want to participate is important. But then again, we have the other thing is we have to do the right things in order to be able to make sure that a, a man wants to participate. 
going forward, which again, I don't want to steal the thunder from our coming conversations, but that that is it's a, to be able to get a man excited about ways to be able to learn, grow, and and contribute something. Scott, what are your thoughts on expectations? Well, I, I think a lot of it first off to the to the comment we keep talking about. You know, it's only one night a month. I, I will be honest. Uh, you know, I heard it myself. Uh, I never really truly believed it, having grown up around the fraternity. But I did have a a, a very wise Mason once said to me uh, that that statement is only actually half the statement. And I'm sure I'm sure I think I've mentioned it to both of you before. The actual statement should be it's only one night a month at home. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, let's face it. I mean, you know, there, there are, it runs in cycles, though. I mean, and I think that's an expectation that has to be set is that there are some weeks where, yeah, you may only have one item on your calendar for, for masonry. Like, you know, we've said we're, we're kind of the choir here. But, you know, if, you know, I, I only ever wanted to do my stated meeting, the, the actual business meeting, yeah, it's only one night a month. But most people want to put more into it, they want to get more out of it. And I think it's important to understand that when you set the expectation that it's more than just showing up to the business meeting, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to show up to every dinner, every meeting in the rest of the district, every meeting in the rest of the jurisdiction, mm -hmm. that you're going to no. be on every Zoom call. It's, it's important to understand that when we say the expectation is that you're going to spend more than one night, uh, you know, other than that one business meeting, that you're actually doing something Masonically related. It might be personal improvement. I mean, you know, I've got a bookcase full of books behind me. You know, there's podcasts to listen to. As long as you're taking that information and using it to apply to what you're trying to learn and how you're trying to grow and then bring it back to conversations with the brothers that you regularly see, that's masonry every day of the year. It, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not putting the suit and tie on and sitting in a meeting. That's, you know, that's only one aspect of, of the fraternity. And I do think, you know, Setting those expectations up front is important. You know, they need to understand that, you know, there are certain things that if you move forward that you're going to be expected to do. And I don't think, you know, unfortunately, you know, you can do a quick Google search and find out everything you want to know about the fraternity out there. So, but I do, you know, I try to make sure that once a person gets to the stage where I'm interested, what's my next step? Well, the next step would be to put the petition in your hand, understand that once you do that, there are certain things that we're going to do as a lodge. And there are certain things that you need to do in response to that as a, as a potential candidate. Yeah. And that's, and that's a very good point because if it is, if we do say it's one night a month and that one night a month is the business meeting, are we going to keep that man? Um, I, if, I do know if, some, I know some that that's good enough for them, but. And, 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 and that's, and that, and that's true. But I mean, these are questions that I'm not saying that oh, you yeah. would or wouldn't, but these are and, questions to ask. Well, see, and one of the other things to take a look at too, is, is that, you know, when you look at an individual, that might be what they can contribute now. You know, it's hard to look into, look into an individual and say, what are they going to be 20 years from now? You know, the, the type sure. of Mason I was when I joined the fraternity and with the type of Mason I am now is two very different individuals. Yeah, you join for join for one reason and stay for another, and and yep. that and that happens to all of us, I think, to a degree. By the way, uh, Tim and Scott, I just got a um, a message uh, relative to this from some guy by the name of Ken Clay. Um, I don't know who he is, but anyway, one of the things for those that aren't in New Hampshire, he's our grandmaster. Hello, most worshipful. But um, he actually mentioned something that we were talking about in our other conversations, which is. 
before you join visiting other lodges, um, you know, seeing the, the various cultures, um, you know, that's something that I very much, you know, when I talk to folks encourage, we have two lodges that meet in our, in, in our building, in our town, both wonderful lodges. Um, but again, going back to the idea that uh, you're not going to, as a candidate, understand a lodge culture or the difference in the difference in lodge cultures if you don't get to experience any of that before you join. So um, I think that that's also very important as well because uh, you know meeting night I don't think is the only thing that you know that that should be a determining factor or geography for that matter. No, and I think that you know to that point, and you know, I think that it's important for all Masons to travel so that way when you're having the conversation with a potential candidate you're in have an informed decision an informed uh, conversation with that individual you may come to me and talk to me you know at my lodge and i have that conversation with you said you know i'm thinking to myself you know i like this guy he's a really nice guy but i don't think he's going to be a fit here for for whatever reason he might be a better fit over chris's lodge but if i've never been to chris's lodge i don't know that that's yeah that's a great point one of the and that point in particular, Scott, is something that I don't think we see happen as much as, as we maybe should. When you have options, and, and not everywhere does, certainly. In the second district, we're, we're very fortunate to have you know a, a relatively dense uh, number of lodges in, in one area. So you can refer people out. But when you have that opportunity to maybe recommend a lodge, it's a better fit culturally. I, I'm not sure I've seen it very often happen in a conversation with a potential candidate because a lot of lodges really do take a candidate, that candidate expresses an interest, and, and the lodge takes a claim. And for me, I think that's behavior that does a disservice to the lodge because if you're not providing what this gentleman needs, he's going to leave. And if he's not interested again he's he's not going to be around so i think that's a a cultural issue in freemasonry that that needs to be addressed is that sometimes it is okay to say no but here's an alternative and yeah to your point if you don't go out and visit those lodges yeah you are you're in a rough spot and you can't make that determination and you shouldn't but to the Grand Master's point, telling a candidate to go visit other lodges is a huge cultural shift from what I've seen in, in Masonry hmm. over the course of the last 10 plus years. Because it's hard enough to get Masons to go visit other lodges. Just true. And and yep. it, and it's hard. And you have lodges that, you know, that, you know, they want the opportunity to be able to to, to scoop a man up that's interested. I under, believe me, I understand that. And so that that's sort of the conundrum, right, of of this is that we, we have lodges, you know, a lot of our lodges are in very rural areas in New Hampshire. So, you know, when, when you have a guy that's coming to, you know, Hiram Lodge in Newport or, uh, you know, or, or, or Evening Star Lodge up north, you know, it, you know, there's not a whole, a whole lot else going on beyond, you know, in 20, 30, 40 miles, 50 miles from a Masonic perspective. And, and you and you really want to be able to to add that 
man to to your lodge and so that that is an understandable uh place where 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 you know that might be a blocker for some people in in, in talking about other lodges in that way when they're coming to yours yeah i i agree with that i think that's like i said the second district is has is very fortunate in that from my house i can get to six or seven lodges in half an hour um that's certainly not the case in in some jurisdictions and I think in, in those cases, obviously, that decision is a little tougher. But, you know, we've also had brethren on this podcast who travel four hours round trip to attend their lodge meetings. Yeah. So, And by, and by the way, I slightly misrepresented what the Grand Master said. So uh, because I'm looking here and... <laughs> oh, we didn't send you a time. correction, though. That's uh, good. <laughs> well, yes. Re- he said to reinforce the fact that you're joining a lodge, but fully grow, you should be encouraged to visit other lodges to see the varying cultures. And And we talked about that from the perspective of even beforehand and again that that's that's it you know one issue and then the second issue is what you mentioned scott is you know you 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 need to understand after you become a mason the broader culture of of or the differences in culture that exists between lodges so that you can become a more well-rounded brother yourself well yeah and and to couple and to go along with that part of the reason for traveling isn't just that you could have that knowledge and that understanding that you can convey with another candidate, but you might actually find out yourself, Hey, I really like the guys over here. Uh, you know, I think I want to come over here and you might actually decide that, you know, you may want to make that shift yourself. Uh, but you know, you won't find those things out. And again, it goes back to setting the expectations. The expectation when you join the fraternity shouldn't be that you are a member of whatever lodge it is until the day you drop dead. You know, it shouldn't be the expectation. The expectation should be that, you know, you're going to grow as an individual. And part of that growth might be moving to a different lodge. I mean, I did it myself. You know, I, I, I sure. wasn't raised at St. Mark's. I moved to St. Mark's. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that we have to take a look at. And the candidates have to be, you know, made aware of the fact that that is their option. I mean, you know, you don't have to join the first lodge that you walk through the doors of. Sure. So. So I guess one of the things that we need to talk about is, is a very important part of this whole process, and that's the petition itself. In New Hampshire, you require a signature from two brothers within the jurisdiction. They don't have to be members of the lodge you're petitioning. And what do we as a lodge or we as individual brothers have as responsibility when it comes to signing a petition or even giving a brother a petition uh, to seek admittance into our, our lodges. I'll let Chris go first. He has very strong opinions on this. He had to take I a do. long because you know he's not going to I do have very strong opinions, um, but they're my own. And again, I'm not here to, to, to tell everyone how to do things. That's, that's not it. Just again, different perspectives. Um, as far as, that is concerned. I think one of the things that we get into a habit of, and I think we're all at one point or another guilty of this, is looking at the form and seeing the questions that are on the form and then saying, okay, these are the questions that I have to ask. Well, hold on. We haven't gotten to the investigation it, yet. Well, but but it is that, it is that petition process, right? Um, but if you're talking about the investigation uh I'm sorry, back up a little bit. So I'm, I'm confusing myself. 
Say you what you were saying. Listen when I when I talk. No, to I him. did. I did. I'm sorry. I just got too much sensory input. My apologies. One more. So time. the petition. What what responsibility do no. do we as brothers and we as a lodge have towards signing a petition, towards granting a petition, whatever the case may be? Especially when you look at within the jurisdiction of New Hampshire, any brother within the jurisdiction can sign a petition for anyone yeah. in any lodge. And so I'm looking at at you know sort of the petition investigation uh, together. But as far as the as far as accepting a petition is concerned. Um, I personally believe giving more time um, before even being willing um, to sign a petition, because you know what are the the duties of a person historically, you know, sort of in Masonic culture. Generally speaking, the person that is a top line signer of a petition is really one that should be is is a vouching for that the character of that individual, but b is responsible um for uh for mentorship during during that 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 man's journey so signing a petition should never be taken lightly for multiple reasons one of which being obviously we you know we want to make sure that this is the right fit for our lodge and, and for the fraternity but secondly to 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 make sure that that there is that that time to where you 100 percent as a signer of that petition feel feel comfortable. It almost needs to be, again, in my view, sort of by the time that you get to accepting a petition and investigating, we already know about this this, this gentleman. The, the investigation is sort of tying up those loose ends, doing our, our, our constitutional duty, but we had already sort of loaded that, uh, that time uh, before accepting a position to really, truly get to know that person. Now, uh, my lodge has done it a certain way, um, but I would say I don't want to put a time around it. But I, what I would say is is that the the lodge brothers, the officers, should generally feel comfortable um, with with the person that uh, that's petitioning and 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 understand that both the petitioner is ready to petition and that the lodge is ready ready to accept and move forward. Scott, I was waiting if you're gonna if you were gonna jump in there or not. It's the the challenge there is is that there's and of course I'm you know I've been in the fraternity longer than either of you gentlemen, and I actually because of the break in my service I've actually get to see firsthand Com the differences. I didn't combined by the way. Yeah, I was I was thinking it, but I didn't want to say it. So thank you, Chris, for for saying what we were all thinking. Oh yeah, yeah. So so just for the record, it's not that I'm a significantly older than either one of you gentlemen. I joined at the tender age of twenty one, which at the time was the, at the young point that you could join with the fraternity in New Hampshire. Um, but I actually saw what I'm seeing now, which is, you know, there's a much larger emphasis on taking the time to get to know the individual before the petition even goes in their hand. However, I do recall a time in the not too distant past where it's like someone walked through the door. They mentioned that they were even interested in the petition was in their hand with signatures yeah. on it. Yeah, so, I think they came pre-signed out of the secretary's desk in a lot of cases. Yeah, they pretty much did. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting because you're kind of in a quandary here, and it's it's something that we really haven't touched on in our previous conversations dealing with petitions. Is that when someone walks through the door of a lodge, you get to know them. 
have those conversations. You're comfortable with them. The lodge is comfortable with them. And every lodge, it's a different time period for each one. Uh, and in some cases, the lodges will take, you know, the fact that two or three brothers have sat with this individual over the course of the last couple of months. And they're saying, yeah, he's a good fit. You know, and the lodge kind of accepts that uh, and then leaves it on to the investigation committee for, for the next, you know, the uh, due diligence portion. But, you know, it, it's difficult because you sit there and you go, what makes the good individual? And then you take and look at, uh, Chris, you just walked through the door of my lodge. You've got a signed petition in your hand. You're signed from two brothers from a different lodge. Right. Yes. And that's something that, you know, we don't really run into that frequently here in, in New Hampshire, but it's it's a valid concern. I mean, you know, what do you do when you have a petition that's got re two signatures on there? Obviously, you want to validate and make sure that both signers are members of a lodge in New Hampshire. But now, where do you go from there? Is you know, do you hold the petition up? He's ready to go. So well, so that I guess that leads to the next conversation I wanted to have is, so say you've got a lodge a brother who comes in, even if it's signed by two brothers from your lodge who may not be active members, two brothers who, who are certainly members and are known within your lodge. Oh, that never happens. Of course not. But they sign a petition for a guy who they know very well, who wants to join masonry, but the active members, and this is not to disparage inactive members, obviously everybody can do, does what they can, but if this gentleman is coming to join our fraternity and is not necessarily known by the people who are going to be with him throughout his entire initiatic experience, the people who are likely to be his mentors and the people who are hopefully going to see this brother as he retains his membership and attends, what, what do you do with that? I mean, for me, I think that there's no easy answer. But we have a very multi-step process that I think is important to identify. And so we have a question in the audience um, from Right Worshipful Dave Collins, the Deputy Grandmaster and Grandmaster-elect. Uh, what do you feel is a good way to handle a prospect who comes in through a website request? Process signatures for petition. And I think this kind of falls under that same category. Um, you've got a guy who's coming in off the streets. He's excited. He's got a signed petition. Where do you go with that? And and my answer is you don't read the petition until the lodge is comfortable. I think there's a couple of different steps at which you can put a, a slowdown in the process. And I don't I don't want to unnecessarily slow down the process, but I think right. to my comfort, you know, if I were sitting in the east, I would probably have that gentleman either not read his petition, read it and assign it to an investigation and not hold a vote. Because I think that the vote sets so much in stone and the, the impetus that's on the brothers of a lodge to vote for the good of the order. We, we set a very high standard for accepting a petition and voting on it. But at the same time, if we don't know of a reason that this brother is not a good fit, we're encouraged not to, to vote in the, in the negative on that petition. So where's the balance? Yeah. And I, you know, you, you're looking at sort of process for, you know, except because the web is, I mean, that's where, I mean, 
you know, here we are in the 21st century. That is where, you know, a lot of our folks come from. I mean, you know, as far as, as far as expressing interest, Facebook, websites, um, uh, other social media, um, you know, our lodge is actually just um, uh, putting together sort of a process uh, to be able to communicate with uh, men that, you know, email us, um, the type, you know, the peop- the types of brothers that he talks to, right? You talk to a past master of the lodge, you talk to uh, a, a brother that's been uh, a Mason only for a year, uh, a, a guy that that's a 60 year brother and, 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 and get those perspectives, I think is, is important as a part of the process. And I think Tim, you, you mentioned a very, something that was very important is not to unnecessarily, we're, we're not slowing it down just to slow it down. Right. We're not, we're not trying to create a roadblock, even though it is meant to be there, there are steps that it's not easy to join the fraternity, or it's not meant to be just, I want to join. Okay, join. There are these steps to go through, right? So um, it's not a roadblock, but we want to check your ID at the gate. Right, right. And very significantly, right? And, and, I, and I think, and again, because of what you mentioned before, Tim, that, you know, you're coming into our home, our, our, our fraternal home, uh, into the lodge, not necessarily the building, the group of the, the lodge, the group of brothers, and 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 I think it, it it definitely behooves all of us, you know, to 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 for the future of our own lodges, not just for what we're experiencing now. We have to look at at at, at what happens to to us when we're gone. We have guys that are joining now that are eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. They're going to be around far longer than we're going to be here. What? How are they? going to to contribute to the larger picture of what the lodge is. Scott, do you have any, any thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, like we all talk about the different levels of comfort, the different, and every lodge is different. Every brother's different. You know, I'm, you know, I might say I'm comfortable with a petition that Chris comes to me and talks to me about because he knows the individual. I don't know him, but I know Chris do I trust Chris enough to say, yes, I think he'd be a good fit. Not that I'm necessarily going to be a signature on the petition, right. but that I think the end, based on what you're telling me, the person's a good fit. You know, those are things that have to be not only dealt with on an individual level, but on a large level, what's everybody's comfort level. Uh, and, you know, and of course, you know, as we're talking about the vote seems to be the set it in stone kind of mo- moment. Right. Uh, but I do want to back up to something that was mentioned earlier is, is the fact that, you know, talk about slowing the process down. So often we get hung up on the constitutional items that say it takes this many days between each step. Those aren't set in stone either. Those are just guidelines. They're the minimum requirement. You've got to wait at least this long. doesn't mean you can't wait 10 times that length if you want to. You know, but I think it goes back to understanding that this, there's minimum statements that, you know, minimum timeframes that we can look at. And we set that expectation with the individual. Hey, look, yeah, I understand yeah. you've got a petition. You know, you've had two brothers sign it that you know real well. You'd like to join the, our lodge. That's great. Fantastic. However, we'd like to, an opportunity to kind of chat with you and get to know you a little bit more before we move forward on the next couple of steps in the process. Can you come back at, you know, our dinner meeting or, you know, come to, you know, Sunday night rehearsals or whatever it is that, you know, you know, so that you can meet a few of the brothers. 
you know, because that's one of the things that, you know, my lodge is we set it to set aside time before our rehearsal specifically for that reason, to get a chance to talk to people that might be interested in joining the fraternity. And with those that are on the, in the middle of their process of, jo of joining, since it's, you know, it's not an overnight sign vote done kind of thing. So. Right. I think we're going to, we're definitely going to touch on, on that constitutional minimum co concept <laughs> in our next episode when oh, we talk yes. about mentoring. Because I know for me, my three degrees were, were scheduled pretty much the same night that my petition was voted on. And, you know, come hell or high water, I was I was going to be at those degrees, um, no matter what memorization I, I had done or, or was ready for. And sure. that that's certainly a culture that I've seen change drastically over the course yeah. of the last 10 years. But, but again, it goes back to setting those expectations. If someone is going to petition the fraternity, they need to understand that, yes, there's a petition process. There's the investigation process. Then we're going to vote on your petition. That's when the work starts. Uh, and see, that's that yeah. I think is the is the question is where where in the process does the work start? Because you're right, the work for the candidate in their mind is going to start after they have to actually show up to a degree, do their memorization, you know, return their ritual. But in my opinion, I think the work starts a lot earlier than that. Well, I from, think the the, from the lodge's perspective, I'll agree with you. I, from a candidate's, well, I mean, it, it depends on what you consider work. From a candidate's perspective, my, you know, or a potential candidate's perspective, I'm looking at it from, you know, I'd like to join your lodge. I can show up. I can meet the brothers. I can have those conversations. There's really no work or expectation set on me other than the show up. Can you be there? We'd like to talk to you. We'd like to get to know you. You know, and if you can't make it, let us know you're not coming. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I get that. I, and I think that's for me, part of the work is being present, making the time as a candidate, never mind a, a, an initiate, but making the time as a candidate to be at the places you need to be. And, and to Chris's much earlier point, it's not just the dinner meeting. Sometimes it has to be something else. And, and a lot of lodges may not have that opportunity to do that something else. Um, but I think that it behooves us to find that opportunity. I think one of the things that we, we tend to get bunched up on is, is patience and not yeah. expecting that a candidate is going to have any. And, and guess what guys, patience is a Masonic is definitely talked about in our ritual. Um, so you know, I, I think that there's there there is somewhat of a test there, right? Uh, when it comes to a potential candidate, as is, are they willing to sort of conform? Maybe might be too strong a word, but sort of follow follow what the lodge wants to do in, in the time that they they want to do it um, as a part with, of that journey. You have to stay within the guardrails. Right, is the journey that you're going to go on. You're going to go down this path. There's a set of guide uh, guide rails, guardrails that we're looking at maintaining, so that we can all go make sure we're walking in the same direction. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. We don't want everybody to be cookie cutter approach. I mean, you know, let's face it, we're not going to walk out the other end the same way we all came in. You know, it's it's important to understand that each individual's journey is different. But yes, patience is important. And I think that a lot of times when we look at the patience aspect, I don't necessarily think it's the candidate's patience that's being tested. Yeah, it's, it's the ours. lodge's patience yeah. that's being tested. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's 
I think that we need to set better expectations for our petitioners, for sure. See, now you guys are saying it all the time. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's important. And I think it's an, it's an often, I don't want to say ignored, but often overlooked part of the process. Yeah. I was asked to be junior steward of my lodge. I was told that my responsibilities were bringing pie once every other meeting. Oh, so so back up for a second, Tim. When were you asked to be junior junior steward? How soon oh, after boy. you were how, eight months how, after I was raised? I was asked the night I was raised. Okay. So I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things that you know the lodges don't necessarily have the you know patience that's needed. But I was told set expectations two two pies every other meeting. You got another guy who's going to do it every every other meeting. You do it every other off meeting. That is an expectation. Somehow, nine years later, I was wearing a top hat and holding a 197-year-old piece of paper that was now my responsibility. I don't know what happened in those intervening <laughs> nine years where I went from just being the guy with two pies to now being the guy sitting in the big chair. You blinked. You're right. And I think that's really – it's not – It's humility. Not, it's a test of humility. But I mean, the, the whole process is a test of humility. Right. And, but we don't in any aspect of, of Freemasonry, I think that the, the concept of setting expectations is, is there, but it's, it's just the surface that we set. And then there's all of these layers underneath that I don't think we touch on uh, appropriately in every interaction. Well, that, I mean, well it's, it's hard it, to, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, there's it's, so it's, much. Right. And if you take a look at the process of a, individual coming into the fraternity and just to touch on what we've already talked about there's so many levels of expectations for so many different individuals and a lot of it gets missed there's the expectation for the petition possible petitioner we need to make sure we set expectations with them properly the lodge brothers that may interact with a potential person coming through the door expectations need to be set with them the per people who are signing the petition, what are those expectations? The investigation committee, what are those expectations? When you vote someone through or, or, or uh, vote their petition down, and it does happen, uh, you know, what are those expectations and, and what's the, you know, impact of those things? So there's, I mean, that's just from this simple little conversation. There's a, you know, a whole handful of conversations that need to get had if you think about it. And and for many of those conversations, specifically the internal ones with the with the brethren who are already present, a lot of those conversations are more implied, and I think that it's very easy for a past master or a, a twenty year member to forget what it was like being a guy yes. who's only been around for a year or two, yeah. and when you assign that guy that you know, one-year-old Mason to an investigation committee, you assume he knows what he's doing. Very often he doesn't. And so well, uh, you, you to, may not, no, go ahead. You know, to that point, just because you're a 20 year Mason, doesn't mean you know what you're doing on an investigation committee either. Also, it could be, it, it could be, yeah. it could be your first one, you know? And, and usually the people who are assigning those investigations are going to be the master and the secretary and those people tend to have more experience in, in the aspects of a lodge that are important here in this conversation. And unfortunately, you're right. When you do assign invest, I've been on an investigation with a member of my lodge uh, for an affiliation with a guy that I 
had never seen in the lodge building and still have never seen in lodge. And did he know, did I know, did either of us know what we were getting into? And I don't think we did. And I think Chris, you made a, an interesting point when you talked about the online process and who a brother talks to a recent past master of my lodge made a decision to assign investigation committees with, you know, ideally a line officer, a past master and, and a brother yeah. who has never served in an office, hopefully a relatively new brother. And I think that that gives you a, a wealth of knowledge and experience that you may not have otherwise. And perspectives. And that's, right. and that's really what, that's what, if I'm looking at it from a candidate's perspective, that they need that, they need to understand uh, the perspectives of all of those, uh, all of those men that at different points in their, in their Masonic career. So say we've signed a petition or we've accepted a signed petition. It's been read and we move to the investigation committee process. Okay. Now, Chris, under your, excuse me, your ideal scenario that you posed earlier, the investigation committee is just tying up loose ends. And that's one part of it, but not all lodges necessarily have the extensive opportunity or the no. or necessarily the ability to meet a candidate extensively before his petition is accepted. So what is the role and responsibility of investigation committees? We, we all have gotten, you know, for those of us who served on one, we get a form. It's got a couple of blocks for, for free text, but most of it is just a series of questions. And those questions are, in a lot of cases, the only ones that get asked. But they're not the only ones that need to be asked. What should investigation committees be doing with potential candidates? And, and what is their responsibility to the lodge? Chris? Chris? Yep. I, oh, there he is. <laughs> it was getting... It seemed like it was getting muted for me, so I apologize. Um, but you know, the investigation sort of the final, the final gate. It's the final check um, on the process. As far as the the the, the reports are concerned, right? You're right. It, it asks, you know, um, and sometimes we, we 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 might consider them in a modern time a little bit antiquated, right? You know, does you know. Uh, uh, have you have you spoken to his neighbors? Well, are you going to go knocking on 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 the petitioner's next door neighbor's door and say, "Hey, I want to talk to you about your neighbor"? Half I mean, the time, I don't speak to my own neighbor. Half so. the time, they might not even know each other, right? So, what what do, what do you have to you know to do uh, in order to be able to know that you know other people um, like and respect the man that's petitioning us. I mean, social media is still a tool, right? And this is something that we've talked about before. And we don't do background checks officially as a part of the, uh, you know, the, the, in the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire. But there are ways for us to be able to see sort of, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, how a man behaves in the wild, right? And I think that that, right, but you understand what I'm saying. No, like, absolutely. you know, just I... with, without, without eyes on him, um, you know, so I, I think by the time that, you know, in sort of my way of looking at, at this, by the time that that has, you've gotten to that point, um, you have very few questions to ask. But again, those should be conversations. And one of the things that, 
uh, I did as master and, and we still sort of do is that we we have it goes back to the minimum the minimum requirements of the grand constitution we have to have at least two brothers that um that have investigated a, a potential candidate uh but we actually assign four uh a, a lot of the times because we want those additional perspectives and you might have brothers and you might you know as as a master decide to select brothers that might not necessarily have had the level of interaction with the lodge as a larger whole um, to be able to have an additional perspective after the time that the other brothers have been able to get to know that person. Um, so, you know, you, you might have a brother that's active, but might not be at every meeting, understands the culture of lodge yet might not necessarily know that person. And so we're, 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 we're adding that, you know, sort of that final step to say, you know, okay, everybody, you know, is this, you know, are we are we good? Um, and I think that that, yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of my answer. Well, I I think it's important from the perspective of the investigation committee that those expectations are set well with them. They mm. need to understand that when you go out and you're spending time with this individual to get to know them a little bit, if you haven't had an opportunity before that, it's not just filling out the, the paperwork for the investigation committee because your report when it comes back you're the voice that the other members in your lodge are going to listen yeah. to if they haven't had that chance yet right that's the bottom well, line that's the bottom line that's the if game. i'm yes. sitting on the sidelines and i haven't had a chance to you know to get to know tim bef before we vote on him i'm relying on chris's investigation committee report to tell me is he or is he not going to be a, a good fit for our lodge Yes, I know who the petitioner is. I know who the, who signed for him. I know the investigation committee reports. That's how I'm making my decision because I may not have had that opportunity to actually sit down and talk to the individual. I'm relying on these other brothers, these you know four to six brothers to make those decisions for me. Let me know what's going on, and then I vote my conscience. And so, right, you know, one of the things is that the report, the reports, and you know, all lodges use something slightly different, but basically, it's a form, right? I encourage a narrative. Like I, I, I want the investigation committee to to write a little bit. It doesn't have to be a book, but just you know, a few paragraphs to talk about your interaction with that man, because the information that by itself that's on that form is not going to be is not a lot um, to really delve deeper into the character of that individual. So that that's what you know. One of the things that I encourage is is really to tell a little bit more of a story, so that when you get to that that you know to ballot on the candidate, you actually you know you have more than just to say, well, um, the you know the the person investigating the brother investigating um, marked yes <laughs> uh, for this particular man, and to be able to tell that. Because to your point, Scott, without that, you're just reading the question saying, you know, they're, they're uh, recommending uh, a vote in the affirmative, and that's it, uh, without right. sort of that, without that additional discussion. Yeah, I, I think it's also part, a part, uh, a piece that needs to be understood is that it's not just the individual petitioning at that point that you're there to, to speak with. This is the opportunity to get to know his significant other. Does he have kids? If so, you know, here's an opportunity to get a chance to meet them. That's why it's encouraged to do these things 
in the individual's home and not yeah. in a sterile environment. Like I'll meet you for coffee at Dun Duncan down the street from the lodge room or uh, swing by Sunday night and, or Thursday night and we'll do the investigation committee paperwork real quick. You know, it's an important aspect of the, the process. I mean, you know, if you really want to get to know an individual and understand who they are, get them in a comfortable environment with their kids. And you'll find out real quick the type of individual they are. You know, how you handle your kids, it, you know, let's face it, uh, two of the three of us are parents. And, you know, how we handle our kids is is looked at by other parents. I, I would have never been accepted. Life. I would have never been accepted. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, I've Mom, seen... I, I've seen guys that, you know, I think are great individuals. I think they make great Masons. And then I see them with their families and it's like, this is like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. How'd this happen? You know, but and it's their spouses and significant others also need to buy into this to, to exactly oh yeah, what definitely. you're saying. Like it, it, it can't, it isn't just the, the man joining the fraternity, right? The, the family to some degree is, is, is becoming a part of, of this, hopefully, right? I mean, that's what we hope to do is, is integrate, uh, integrate the family and make them feel comfortable and get them to know us too. Because if, if it's something that a spouse can support, um, then, uh, then it's going to be, it's going to be an easier sort of, uh, process and transition for for uh for a man to start spending some of his time there if if his spouse knows that uh that it's something worthwhile yeah i mean not not everybody who, who joins not all families who join the lodge need to be the busbies you know listen you've got, listen <laughs> I love the family. I think, no but you're right you're absolutely to, correct to to be fair though tim the busbies are what masonry was at one point Oh, absolutely! I, and I, I mean, when I went into the fraternity and when I was part of DMLA, it was the it was the expected norm. If the gentleman joined the fraternity, his wife joined Eastern Star. The kids were all in the youth organizations. It did. That's just what was done. But don't but don't confuse what I mean. I mean, whether or oh, not I know the wife oh, and the yeah. kids want want to get involved in the youth organizations and Eastern Star and, and, and things like that. That's really beyond the point. It's really right. more of um, understanding what the fraternity is. Um, Get, get hopefully communicating its value and making those folks feel comfortable and and integrated to whatever level that they want to be integrated. Sure, and but that's one of the things that needs to be understood is is that the you know because at one point that was what was considered supporting the 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 husband sure. the fraternity. Yep. You joined everything, yep. you know, and you know we have a lot of brothers now whose wives support them by saying. You know, why are you home tonight and not at the lodge? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I, mean, like, I mean, my wife, know, my it, wife it, married the senior warden of a lodge. Really didn't have much to say in the matter at that point, but she supports me. She she certainly yeah. shows up when when it's it's appropriate. But she's not going to be joining Eastern Star, and that's okay too, yeah. as long as she supports me. And I think that's really important aspect of the family investigation. Um. So. The investigation committee is supremely responsible for communicating back to the lodge the opinion of those brothers who don't have the chance to, to have met the petitioner. I think that in the ideal world that you know Chris discussed earlier, every active member, at least, the guys who are showing up regularly, every one of them should have had an opportunity to meet this guy several times. But that's not always the case. So the investigation committee has to do it. They have to be the ones who speak on behalf of those brothers. 
and that's fine. That's their their role and that's their responsibility. And, and as long as we set that expectation, we've done what we need to do. Yeah, it's the communication of all of those things. That's that's yeah, so that's where we so need critical. to I think pick things yeah. up a little bit. But yeah, just just don't cross the T's and dot the I's and check the boxes. The next and final step in this process, and we're going to be wrapping up on this, is the vote. Okay? You've got say we're in the ideal scenario, we've everybody's met the guy, the loose ends have been tied up in the investigation. The vote goes off White balls elect, he's good to go, okay? What about those unideal scenarios? What do you do as the master of the lodge? Uh, what do you do as a member of the lodge who, who's casting a vote? And I think that's the distinction I want to find out here is if you're the master and you know that this individual has not been present enough or has not made an effort but has the petitions, has the good investigation committee reports, but hasn't met most of the people in the room. Do you bring that petition to a vote or do you say, great, we've got this information. Let's take a step back and, and reevaluate. Should it have never gotten to that point? And as a member, say the master brings it up for a vote and you're a member who isn't confident that the investigation committee has met their responsibility and you don't see any reason that this candidate shouldn't be a Mason, but you also haven't had an opportunity to interact or when you have interacted, it's not necessarily been to your satisfaction, but it's not strong enough to say he shouldn't be a Mason. What do you do as a member? I think, I, you know, it's about talking and being willing to be candid and, um, and, and, and share it. You, you might not get as a, say, as a member, right? You, you might not get a master to see your way. I mean, ultimately it is the master's lodge and, and he can proceed as he sees fit as long as all of the other aspects have moved forward. But if you were to go to a master as a, uh, as a, as a brother, um, to say, look, you know, I I'm a little bit concerned. I don't think that that happens anywhere no. near enough. Um, well, I mean, the theme of this whole night has been communication, sure. you know, and, and we're going to, that's going to be the theme of everything in this fraternity is communication. So I agree with you. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it, it's, it's really, you know, uh, the, the vote is, uh, you know, is sacred. And, you know, it's something that, you know, again, we should feel as though that, that, that we're comfortable. And if we're not, and, and I hope that masters would be open to accept that sort of feedback from, from a brother. And again, like I said, you know, being being a master in particular is a lesson in humility. Going going up through the chairs, it's a, it's a lesson in humility. And being able as a master to be able to listen to the counsel of a brother to say, you know, maybe we should slow this down. Now, those decisions may not be popular, <laughs> and that uh, in all cases, and, and that's and that's something that you have to weigh as the master of a lodge. But I think that again with that communication with your brethren expectations set with everyone, um, it, it can be possible to be able to do that and have everyone say, you know what? Okay. Yep. He's right. Let's slow it down. And the master has the ability to be able to, uh, to control, to, to control whether or not that that happens, but it, it is, it is ultimately up to him. 
Well, and, and the other thing too is, is that it's important to, when you start to look at that, the master has to make sure that when the investigation committee happens, when the candidate's petition is signed, that the expectations are set with the candidate, that there is the possibility that this process could get, could get slowed down at any given point. Because if the investigation committee has gone out and said, yep, you look good to us, the vote's going to be Tuesday night, and you know, right after that, they'll be calling you to schedule your uh, first degree, they've already set the expectations with the candidate. And at that point, it's it makes it more difficult for the master to sit there and say, no, I think we need to push this off for another month. And that's why the chain of communication, right? Right. That's, that's yeah. so important. But, but I mean, it's, it's important to understand that. And I think, you know, we so often hear everybody that's, you know, well, this is the next step. This is the next step. This is the next step. And this is when we're going to get there. So it's, you know, the rush to get to the next step. I mean, let's face it, you know, we've all seen brothers try to race through their degrees and the ones that sometimes that race through their degrees and race into the appendant bodies, they're trying to get everything under the sun. It's like, you've got an entire lifetime to do all this stuff. So taking a couple extra weeks or an extra month here and there shouldn't be that big of an issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, it's a lot of it comes down to that conversation, setting the expectations properly. Look, you know, we've completed the investigation. We'll turn this in. At that point, it's going to be up to the master when they're going to bring your vote forward. At that point, they've set the expectation that, you know, we're not the ones that are in charge. You know, we're, we're providing information back to the lodge so that they can make that decision. It's somebody else's ultimate decision to say, yes, we're going to vote on this petition tonight. So I guess, you know, the other part of that question is at what point as a member is it appropriate to vote no? Is it is that discomfort an acceptable barrier? Is that is that the level that we want to set for voting no if you think that this Ooh, needs more that's time? A podcast on its own, isn't it? But but it's something well, I, to ponder here. Well, because I, I, you're right, Tim. I think one of the things that you have to take a look at is the discomfort level versus comfort level versus trust level that you have in your brothers. So I, we'll go back to this scenario we had before. When you're sitting there, I haven't had a chance to talk to Chris. I met him briefly. You know, he was down here one evening. I got a chance to say hi to him on my way by because I had something else to do or he was leaving or whatever the reason is. So I, at least I know who he is. I've seen his face once. And now his petitions come up. It's been three months and he's petitions coming before the lodge for a vote. Is it safe for me to say, I don't think he'll make a good Mason because I haven't had more than that one short interaction with him, but yet I've got two, two signatures on his petition, both brothers. I trust, I trust their judgment. You know, I'll invite them into my house any given day of the week. The investigation committee has done their job. You know, and it's to Chris's point, it's not just a check the box thing. They've actually gone ahead and written a, a bit of a narrative. So we have some idea who the individual is and they're both in, a, they're all in agreement. So is it, am I okay to vote? No, because I haven't had a chance to do it. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to go because, you know, Saying no to making a brother, uh, an individual, a candidate at that point, just because I haven't had the uh, time to spend with him, or you know the schedules haven't allowed for whatever it happens to be, 
is that fair to the candidate or am I putting myself ahead of the candidate saying my needs are more important than yours? Right. And that, and that goes back to the purpose, uh, uh, Tim and Scott, what you said uh, of the investigation committee, right? Is that the, the rest of the brothers that have not interacted with him have to know uh, what this guy is all about. Um, and, and I think as Masons, we do um, have an obligation to, um, to trust our brothers um you know and, and but then again if there's something that you've personally witnessed or something that that you know outside of outside of personal in you know personal peaks and quarrels right um you know there are constitutional methods obviously to to, to go through for that as well but i, I think ultimately it's, it's got to be based on your conscience but for the right the right reasons, right? To, to vote, to vote no. And, and that interpretation can, can, is very gray in a lot of, in a lot of areas. But I, I think that most brothers, most knowledgeable brothers, I think, you know, can look and be introspective on this and look at themselves and say, am I doing right by the fraternity by doing this? Do I, do I trust the, the recommendations of my brothers? Um, you know, did, did the process happen? The way it was supposed to. Um, you're going to say Finish something. With that. No, go ahead. I was going to say that last sentence you just said is key. Did the process happen the way it was supposed to? And I think I don't. I'm not going to speak for the 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 for you two and and say the, you know these are probably my wrap up comments here. Making sure that the process is happening correctly by communicating to everyone, the candidate, the members, the investigation committee, whoever it is at every step, and making sure the process is done correctly once you get those investigation committee reports back. Make sure the master sees them and says, yes, these are fine. These are what we need. As long as you've done those steps, whether it meets you know, that ideal scenario that we talked about or whether it meets the ideal scenario for your lodge and your culture, Make sure that every brother is comfortable with what has been done because then we should eliminate those questions. You should never have to ask whether I'm voting for the wrong reasons or not, right? We should know from the process and the thoroughness of that process exactly what we're voting on. And I think that's a failing that, that we see a lot today is that we haven't set those expectations correctly. We haven't communicated to everyone where those expectations lie. And as a result, there are these gaps that leave a gray area that you're talking about, Chris. Right. And the more we talk about it, you're never going to get it exactly right. No. It's, it's, and that's the entirety of our journey from that rough ashler to the perfect. But the more we talk about it, the less gray area we have. And getting rid of as much gray area as possible, regardless of the process you use in your lodge, is the key to this whole thing and making sure that you're doing right by the candidate and by, think, and by the lodge and the fraternity. And by the lodge. Absolutely. Right. And I think Tim, that's where one of the critical pieces is doing right by the candidate. So often we talk about how we don't get along with people or there's a, a challenge that someone has, you know, you hear about all those little personal quirks, you know, people, you know, I'll, I, I could speak nicely to them, but I wouldn't want to go out and have a, a cup of coffee with them, you know, and they're still brothers, you know, so we, we've learned to set those things aside. 
it's important when we're looking at this entire process that you learn to set some of the things aside. Is that just a personality quirk with the individual? You know, I'll, I, you know, he drinks his coffee from his left hand and I don't like lefty, <laughs> so I'm not going to vote him in. You know, I, it, it seems trivial, but there are people out there that make decisions based on those types of things. And we need to understand that, you know, when we're talking to this individual, it's about setting the right expectations, communicating what we're looking for, what he and trying to find out what, what he's looking for to make sure we're all a good fit. And then working through the process and voting based on the facts and the information we have, not because, hey, I got a beef with the master tonight and I'm not going to let this guy go through because I know he signed his petition. You know, and it's it's sad because I I've heard stories of that stuff happening. Luckily, I've never seen it happen, but I've heard stories of you know guys that you know petition the lodge would make excellent masons, and then they don't get through because they're voting they're they're not voted through, and then there's the cooling off period. They have to repetition the they have to go through the whole process again. So you know it's and there are guys that won't go through it a second time. I mean you know look at uh, you know the military when you get kicked out of you know special ops training. A lot of guys don't go back through even though they have the opportunity to. You know, it's it's not the same scale of things by any stretch, but there are people that, you know, if you can make me go through it all again, I'm not going to bother. It's uh, a lot easier to wait a month in the process. Absolutely. And just say no, go through what must be an embarrassing situation and wait a forced six months. Right. And, and I think that's key is that you lose a lot of good men if you don't make those right decisions. And, and it's important to understand that six months here in New Hampshire Right. Isn't to repetition your lodge. It's to repetition any lodge in the jurisdiction. Yeah. So it's 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 a big thing. You know, if you're not comfortable, you know, when the master brings forward that item on the agenda that you know we're going to vote on, you know, you know, you know Joe Smith's petition this evening. You know, when he gets ready to bring that forward, if you've got some concerns, stand up and voice the concerns at that point. Don't wait for the vote. Because yes. if it's something that someone can, you know, someone can speak to and say, hey, look, I understand where you're coming from. This is what was going on. I had an opportunity to talk to him and this is what was happening in his life. And that's why that stuff happened. And it may be, oh, OK, that's fine. And I got no issues at all. But if there's an issue now, the logic got a chance to address it prior to the vote and then get locked into what has to happen at that point. Communicate early and communicate often. So I, I don't know. It might be something that the communications committee believes in. I, I would say ultimately, no matter what your process, whether you believe, uh, you know, or, or relate to the, the things that we've said tonight, uh, what, whatever that is, I think, you know, the time that we spend the, our lodges in, in this fraternity is, is worth it and, and can only, uh, only get better um, with, with, our, with our due diligence and, uh, and extra, extra care in the process. Well, I want to thank you both for being here tonight and for joining me over the course of the next two episodes at least. When is uh, the next episode, Tim? Well, thank you for asking, Scott. I really appreciate that. We will be back one month from today, February and March, and non-leap years have those fun little situations where we'll be back in the 7th of March. Um, we are planning, uh, moving forward, we, we've talked, uh, the communication committee has discussed uh, a, a schedule, and what we're looking at is doing this monthly on the first Sunday of every month. I say that and I'm immediately going to lie to you. Uh, come April, we are moving to the second Sunday, I believe. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, because of, uh, because Easter, of Sunday. Easter Sunday. So brethren, we hope to see you back on March 7th. 
Our next episode is going to be, uh, it's entitled You Can't Go It Alone, and it's about the mentorship and the, and the process of once you've gone through everything we've discussed tonight, what's next uh, after your first degree, and, and where do we go from there? So I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion, and, and I look forward to having you all there with us, and thank you for joining us tonight. And that's that. Good night, brethren. Scott, Chris, thanks again for being with us, and to our audience. Thank you for joining us. Thanks Good night. for hosting, Tim. Good night, everybody.